Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, uh, okay, if you're new today, uh, we are in a series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks entitled Personal Exodus, Lessons from the Wilderness, and uh, I've had a lot of fun preaching in this series. It's been really cool to hear some of the stories about what God is speaking to people individually, but uh, if you're new today, let me catch you up to speed. We're talking about the Israelites' great exodus from Egypt, and if that is a foreign story to you, or you've maybe never read the Bible, that part of the Bible before, uh, basically, the Israelites, God's people, were enslaved to a group called the Egyptians, for 430 years, and uh, they cried out to God in the midst of their slavery, in the midst of their oppression, and God came by way of a guy named Moses to deliver them from Egypt and bring them into a promised land that he had for them, a place called Canaan. Canaan was a place of his provision. It was a place of his freedom. It was a place of blessing, Uh, but between Egypt and Canaan, he had them wander through a wilderness, something that looks similar to this, and in the wilderness, God said, I'm going to test you. I'm going to try you. I'm going to refine you all with the intention of preparing you for this promised land I'm bringing you into. But, but as we've seen over the last couple of weeks in this series, they, they didn't quite pass the tests. In fact, they failed over and over and over again, and they resisted God, and they doubted God, and they complained. And because of their heart condition, because of their complaint, because of their disobedience, an entire generation of people that were supposed to pass through a wilderness and ultimately make it into a promised land ended up dying in the very place that God tested them. And we've said this for weeks now, but that's not God's intention for you or for me. It even wasn't his intention for them. His design was that they would be refined in that wilderness so that they could apprehend everything he had for them. And thus, we've been looking at their failures, their, their hashtag fails clips, their, their low light reel, if you will. And we've been learning some lessons from their failures as to not repeat them because we want to wander our wilderness season well. I, I, I know we've, we've mentioned this many times, but I will mention it again. We all have a wilderness. You have a wilderness and I have a wilderness. We all have an Egypt, a place God's calling us out of and a place that God is calling us into. And that journey looks different. It is unique for every single one of us. But if you say yes to Jesus and you're on this journey, there will be a season where some things don't make sense yet and you're still waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises to you. And you will have to navigate that season well in order to graduate into his future for you. And we wanna be able to do that season right. We wanna be able to do it well. And so today we're gonna look at yet another one of their failures. And today's failure is kind of the big one. It's the failure that... God looks at and says, honestly, guys, I I think we're done. I I think this is where it ends for us. And this particular moment in Israel's history is the moment where they forfeit this perfect land, this this promise that God had made to them, and they dig their own graves in the desert. And before we go to the text and we read this, I just, as I was praying all week long and even during worship again, uh, the last couple of moments, I just had this sense, and, and, and tune in for just a moment if this is like just normal ritual church thing for you. Just let me, let me speak to your heart for two seconds here. I really think that today is specifically tailored for some people in the room. As we look at this failure, this, this crossroads in Israel's history where they had the opportunity to make the right choice or the wrong choice, and there was a destiny, there, there was a future that was at stake. I feel like there's some people here today finding themselves in a very similar season where there's decisions you're facing There's opportunities ahead of you. There's questions you're being asked right now. And the way you respond to this season will pave 
ultimately either the good things or, or, or the negative things for your future. It will affect the next decade, the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life. And I want you to choose wisely. I really want the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear God's voice speaking to your heart today. So, so before we go to the text, if we could, I just want us to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us individually. Would you just do this? Open up your hands like this for a moment as a, as a posture of receiving. And right now, Lord, we just say we want to receive from you. We don't want to go through routine and ritual and hear some guy on a stage talk. Lord, we want to hear from heaven today. So many of us are facing situations, facing a wilderness, if you will, that it doesn't make sense and there's a lot of question marks in our head and we don't quite know what the, the next right step is, but we just declare today that we trust you. We trust that you're gonna speak to us and you're gonna give us clarity about what that next step looks like. And according to Proverbs, it says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, that the, the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter until the full gleam of dawn. And so God, we trust you today to bring clarity, to bring insight, to show us where to go and what to do. And Lord, we don't want to be those that die off in a desert. We want to be those that lay hold of every good thing you have for our future. So even before we hear what the next couple of moments holds, we just say yes and amen to everything you want to speak to us in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen, amen, amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna to pick up the journey here in year two. The, the Israelites have been wandering around this desert for a couple of years and they find themselves now at the threshold of the promised land, that for the first time, they're getting a view, a vision of this land that God had called them into. And Moses, he looks at uh, some of the uh, Israelites and he calls out 12 of them, one from each tribe. And he says, I want you to go into the land and I want you to spy it out. Tell me, tell me what you see, bring back a report. Are the people there, are they weak or are they strong? Are, are the cities well fortified or are they easily accessible? Bring me back some soil samples. I wanna see what the harvest is like there. Bring me back some food and I wanna taste the food and tell me about the trees. And, and he's asking for all the intel on the land. Basically a TripAdvisor kind of moment. Like just bring me back and tell me if this is like a good vacation destination or if I should go to Cancun again. That's what I really wanna know, okay? So the, the spies, they go out and they survey this land that God's called them into. And they see exactly what God promised them they would see. They see this beautiful landscape, cities that they didn't build that they're going to inherit and, and fields that are ripe with harvest and lush pastures and all the good promises that God told them about while they were slaves in Egypt, they're seeing now with their very eyes. We're even told that a couple of the guys, they bring back a, a, a cluster of grapes on a branch that takes two of them to carry. This is massive food, it is massive provision. And uh, they bring back the food to Moses and they begin to report on what they've seen. And, and that's where we're gonna pick up the story today in the book of Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. It says, after they explored the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and they showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. However, somebody say however. however. Come on, say it like you mean it today. However, the people living there are powerful. The towns are large and they're fortified. We even saw giants. Oh my. The descendants of Anak, the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Canaanites, or excuse me, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country. The Canaanites, the Termites, the Dustmites, the Stalactites, the Stalagmites, they're all there the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before. Let's go and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer this land. 
But the other men who had explored the land with him, they disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread out this bad report among the land and among the Israelites. So the people, upon hearing this negative report from the spies, they do what most crowds do. They buy into the majority. They riot against their leaders. They say, you know what? God's not gonna give us this land as he's promised. Those people are too strong. Let's abandon ship. Let's head back to where we came from. Let's kill our leaders as you do. And, and let's go back to where we know that there's food and there's provision for us. But a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble. Never mind. No, but a couple of guys in the midst of this whole story, guys by the name of Joshua and Caleb, they stood up and, and they did their best the next morning to convince this congregation of people that God could in fact do what he promised he would do. It says in Numbers 14, verse seven, uh, they, Joshua and Caleb said to the people of Israel, the land we're traveling through is explored. It's a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and he will give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are helpless prey to us. They have protection. However, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. So, so we have two reports. We have the report of 10 guys who are doubtful and fearful and the report of two guys that are saying, God can do this for us. And the congregation is faced with a decision. Which of these two reports are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the report of fear or are we going to believe the report of faith? And many of you have read the Bible before and you've been around the block a few times. You know the outcome. You know that the congregation did not choose wisely. They did not choose the report of faith. They sided with the majority. And as a result of their decision, as a result of their doubt, God tells them, hey, this is it. I've given you a lot of chances now, but, but this decision I can't see past. If you really don't think I can bring you into the land that I have prepared for you, this will be your destiny. A year for every day that you scouted out the land, you will wander the wilderness and an entire generation will die here. Only Joshua and Caleb will get to experience what I had for them along with their descendants. This is the sad and tragic end to a story that didn't have to go this way. A story of a group of people that God delivered out of something with every intention of bringing them into something but because of their failure in this moment, they died in the wilderness, never getting to their destiny. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for our community. I don't want that for our city. And thus, this is a mistake we have to learn from. This is a mistake, a moment that every single one of us can learn from because we will all face this moment in our lives. A moment of decision where we get to choose, are we gonna operate by fear or are we gonna operate by faith? And if you could trace back, if you could diagnose this moment, I think all of it surrounds this single word, which I'm gonna draw a title from in just a moment, but a word I had you repeat, however. Someone say however. If you're gonna take notes, I wanna title this chat, you had me at however. You had me at however. Um, how many of you grew up in church? Let me just ask real quick. People that, okay, a lot of us in the room. Uh, if you are my age, which I will not disclose to you, um, many of us grew up in churches where the kids' music wasn't all that great. Uh, these were before the days of Hillsong and Bethel piping out really good songs for our kids to sing. I'm grateful that my kids are singing like awesome worship songs over there in kids' church right now. Uh, that was not my story. I grew up with some really lame kids' music in church. 
was like they gave a guy who knew two chords on a piano the permission to write an entire world's worth of music for about 10 years, you know, in the 80s and 90s. It was great. But uh, we sang some really cheesy stuff, and, and maybe you sang these songs as well. We had a song called um, Father Abraham. Uh, Father Abraham have many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm, Father Abraham. He started adding body parts the whole time. It was like the Christian hokey pokey, because the hokey pokey was way too carnal, so we had to do something, you know, redeemed in church. Uh, we had another song called Have Patience. Uh, at least in my church we did. Have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And then there was like this like guilt trip moment at the end of the song. And think of all the times when others have to wait for you. And you're like, oh God, they do have to wait for me. <laughs> Not very Christian. But there was this one hit that we would sing at the top of our lungs. And according to the first service, everyone knows this song, Okay. It's called, Oh, Be Careful. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For, was there claps? <laughs> Yo. You guys must have gone to the Pentecostal church when you were going, <laughs> they had the claps. We just, no, arms like this. <laughs> that's wrong. Oh, that's awesome. But then there was this moment, you know, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes. And then, and then they threatened you. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And my parents led the, like, the Sunday school, and so like, I could see them staring at me as they said that, you know, like, God's watching you right now, little Timmy. Like, yeah. But then the next line was, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. <laughs> this is what you guys have to deal with while you lead worship. I get it. Okay. Now, the songs were lame, absolutely. But it turns out there was some great theology in some of those songs, particularly that last one. Because as we look at this narrative today about a group of people who chose unwisely in a desert, it turns out that we do need to be careful about what our eyes see. And we do need to be careful about what our ears hear. Because what we let into our eyes and what we let into our ears, God is watching and he's either, either allowing us to move into what he has for our future as a result of it, or it causes us to stay stuck where we're at. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The eyes and the ears are the gateway to the heart. When I said that in the first service, I thought of that SNL skit uh, with googly eyes on plants. The eyes are the windows to your face, but the eyes and the ears. <laughs> Christopher Walken was like in my head in the first service, and I'm like, hold but you guys get the freer version of the sermon. The eyes and the ears are the gateway to your heart. What you allow into your eyes and what you allow into your ears has a drastic impact on the condition of your heart. Not just the condition of your heart, but the condition of your future. You guys remember that series we did a couple of, couple of months ago called Heart Attack? Remember uh, that scripture I had all of us memorized? Proverbs 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 23. What does it say? Guard your heart above all else, because it, your heart, determines the course of your life. Whatever is allowed access to your heart determines the direction of your life. Well, the Bible calls your eyes and your ears gates. They are gates that either remain open or closed. And whatever you allow through those gates gets to the heart. And thus, whatever gets to the heart determines the direction of your life. 
There are some things that don't belong in our eyesight, some things that don't belong in our ears, and we have the right to filter what gets through and what stays at the gates. And I think if we look back at the Israelites here, we can say they let some things through the gates that didn't belong. Based on what they saw and based on what they heard, there were some things that made their way to their hearts. And as a result of their heart condition, they never got to lay hold of everything God had for them. Let's start with the spies. So there's these 12 guys and the spies come back to Moses and they tell him what they saw. He said, go tell me what you see, the eye gates. So they come back and they deliver the report. The land's amazing. The food is five star. The, 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 the fields are amazing. There's lots of trees. The cities are beautiful. And even though that's what they witnessed, it's not what they saw. Those good things apparently got cut off at the gates because it never made its way to their hearts. But they did allow some other things to get past the gates. They said, yeah, there's some good stuff. However, there's some giants in the land. There's some walls. It doesn't look like this is promising for us. We think we should retreat. Rather than seeing the provision, they saw the problem. Rather than seeing the grapes on this massive cluster, they saw the giants. They're staring at God's goodness, but they're speaking about the giants. And yet in the, mid, in, the, in the middle of that atmosphere, a couple of guys start to operate in faith and they go, no, 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 no. Okay, uh, yes, there are giants and yes, there are tigers and bears. Oh my, there's all the bad stuff over there. However, there's also a whole lot of good stuff there. The very things that God prophesied to us, the very things that God spoke to our hearts back in Egypt, that's what we saw when we went there. We saw the crops, we saw the fields, we saw the cities, we saw the provision that God had made available to us. That's what our eyes witnessed. They didn't let the giants get to their heart, they saw what God saw. And thus they began to speak what God spoke. And now the congregation is faced with two howevers. Either the however there are giants or however God has given us this land. They get to choose which however has their heart. And they choose unwisely. They side with the 10 over the two and they die in the middle of the desert. But two guys who had faith, two guys who saw something differently, two guys who spoke something differently, apprehended everything God had for them. By the way, if you're wondering, why God uses this moment as the disqualifier for an entire nation of people. Why it was this moment and not the manna and not the cloud and not the tree at Mara and all the rest of the things we've talked about thus far that disqualified them, the answer is simple. It's because of their faith. You can only lay hold of God's promises by faith. Everything in this journey requires faith. Faith is a mandate, not an option. Faith is the vehicle that gets you through the wilderness and into God's fulfillment for your life. This whole journey with Jesus, it starts, it's sustained, and it ends with faith. It's by faith that you were saved. For by faith, a confession is made from your lips unto salvation. It's by faith that you are healed. It's by faith that you are provided for. It's by faith that you are set free. 
You give in faith. We serve in faith. We live by faith and not by sight. That is the very definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things I do not see with my natural eyes. It is the evidence of things I see in my spirit. The confidence that what I hope for will actually come to pass. That's what a life of faith truly looks like. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, we can never lay hold of what God has for us. And so without faith, a bunch of guys died in the desert. But that's not what I believe for you today. It's not what I believe for our church today. Come on, let me stir some faith in you this morning. That's not what I believe for our city today. I believe that there are still Joshua's and Caleb's peppered all throughout San Francisco and up and down the South Bay. I believe that there are some people that speak a different language. I believe that God has called us to be a community that believes for ridiculous things in this city. Not things we see with our eyes, not things we perceive in the natural, but we would be so convinced of what we pray when our eyes are closed that that would become the greater reality than the reality we are staring at in the natural. That we would be people with eyes of faith and people with ears of faith that we would speak the language of faith, that we would fight the good fight of faith as Paul told Timothy to do. And if you're wondering what the good fight is, there's only one kind, the kind that you win. Come on, somebody. I want to be a part of a church that is winning every single one of our battles. That isn't retreating and going back to where we came from. We're not going back to the Red Sea. We're not going back to Egypt. We are sojourning on and we are laying hold of everything that God has for our future by faith. But if you're going to be that kind of person, and if I'm going to be that kind of person, we must wrestle with this question that the Israelites wrestled with in the wilderness and that I pose to you today. Which, however, has your heart? Which, however, has your heart? Is there a but God in your spirit? Or is there a, yeah, but there's giants. It looks impossible. There's no way. I mean, someone like me doing something like that, which, however, has your heart. As you walk through your current season, your wilderness right now, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's getting past the gates? Or or let me ask it like this. Which report have you bought into? The majority report? or the minority report. Thank you, Tom Cruise. (laughs) Seriously, which report? Because mark my words, there will always be a contradicting report to what God says about your life. There will always be another voice that says you can't, it's not gonna happen, this is where it ends for you, this is your destiny. There is always a, a, a report from the enemy that contradicts the report of the Lord. And often, it is the majority report, not the minority report. If you want to find God, he's probably buried somewhere in the midst of the minority. In fact, let me, let me say this. I'll offer you some pastoral advice, okay? You can write this down if you'd like to. If it's what everybody else is saying, it's probably not what God is saying. If it's what your culture's saying, it's probably not what God is saying. If it's what the media is saying, it's probably not what God is saying. You know, when I, when I, um, when I prepare these sermons, I, uh, I always try to find like culturally relevant things to bring modern application to this ancient text that we study. And, uh, you know, every week, sometimes it's challenging. This week, it was like the slowest pitch in a softball game, okay? Because there's a lot of reports out there right now that have got people freaked out. Can we talk about the coronavirus for just a moment here at church? Why not? 
Let's just go ahead and chat about it. I mean, because we can, you know, it's, it's great. People are freaking out right now. Like, to the point where they are barricading themselves in their houses and not going out in public and selling off all their stock because of a flu virus. And, and let me first and foremost say this. If you are in the medical uh, field, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for running you know, head first into the midst of trauma. Thank you for everyone that's working on vaccines and things to keep us safe. Thank you if you're issuing public notice to wash your hands and you know, cover your mouth. And, and if you're symptomatic to stay home, please, for the love of God, if you're symptomatic, stay home. No one wants you around them right now, okay? So just watch Netflix and it'll be great. It's awesome. Jesus is cool with that, all right? But let me just remind everybody for a moment, this is not the first time something like this has happened before, all right? We've been around this block a couple of times. Some of you aren't old enough to remember this because you're, you know, we're born after 2000, but you guys know, remember like SARS? Remember like H1N1 and swine flu? Remember like Y2K? <laughs> oh God, this is where it ends. All the computers are shutting down. My mom bought all of Costco at Y2K and shoved it into our closets. Like, this is it. Stock markets have tanked before. There's been sickness that has entered our society before that we didn't have vaccines from. But for perspective, hey, do you know that 1,100 people die every single week from the regular flu that we do have a vaccine from? No one's freaking out about that right now. We're all freaking about, out about the unknowns of something. Okay, guys, listen. Hey, believer, slap yourself in the face a little bit. Stop being spoon-fed the fear of media and buying into the mongering of everybody else out there. And let's remember, God's still on the throne. He's still a healer. He's still in charge. This is not where it ends for us. If that's what everybody else is saying, it's probably not what God's saying. You know what God's probably saying right now? He's like, oh, you got a corona? Go to the beach, grab a lime. It's gonna be just fine, all right? We're gonna work this whole thing out. This is not gonna take you out. He is the voice of calm in the midst of a storm. He is the voice of peace in the midst of panic. He is the voice of faith in the midst of fear. What report are you buying into right now? What are you listening to? What is the majority saying over your life right now? I know your marriage may not look the way you want it to look. However, what God brought together, no one is going to tear apart. I know the finances might not look great right now. However, you serve a provider who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Everything in this planet belongs to him. And in one moment, he can provide for every single one of your needs. I know that it looks hopeless right now. However, he brings hope to the hopeless and joy to the downcast and freedom to the addicted. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Come on, Joshua. Come on, Caleb. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. The enemy's not going to win this battle. I understand that there's an enemy in the land you're trying to apprehend, but that enemy is standing on rented territory. That belongs to you. God has already given it to you in the spirit. Let's go in and take the land. Let's go in and lay hold of what God has for us. Oh, but we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're like an ant in the sight of God. God can squash your enemy in a moment and bring deliverance. Where's your faith today? What, however, is in your heart? And listen, this is, this is more than just concept to me, okay? This is not like, a, okay, if you say it this loud and if you use these words, people are going to cheer in church like monkeys. No. <laughs> this is my life. Hey, we planted a church in San Francisco. I don't know if they told you. This was territory that the enemy has had for a really long time. We scouted out the land. We, we came and we saw the statistics that said people don't want anything to do with God. We saw 
all of the enemies and the, the walls and the opposition. We saw how much it was going to cost to do what we needed to do here. We saw all of the obstacles. But, but beyond all that, as my wife so eloquently states in week one of Discover in our video, beyond all that, we saw potential. We saw harvest. We saw a city that God had already spoken for. And instead of buying into what everybody else was saying, oh, it's a graveyard for churches. Oh, it's a waste of time and a waste of money. There's other cities. Just go to Texas. You open up a church and 5,000 people show up the next day. It's great. Besides all that, here's what we heard. We heard the voice of Caleb. We heard the voice of Joshua. We begin to speak in faith. We begin to pray in faith. We begin to listen to a different report, a report that came from the voice of God that said, Isaiah 62 says that this city is not gonna be downcast. God's not done with it. They will be called the redeemed of the Lord, not the desolate place. They'll be called the bride of God, not the forgotten, that the very reputation of the city is being changed if you will just step in and be a part of it. And yeah, there were naysayers every step of the way. Even well-meaning pastors that called me on the way in. Hey, you probably don't need a building that big. It's going to be way more expensive than you think. No one's going to be interested in what you're doing. Don't dream too big. People that were on our team that are not in this church any longer, thank God, who are doubters and naysayers and haters and said, you know what? It's not going to happen. And I'm sorry if this sounds aggressive, but I think I just got a little Caleb on the inside of me today because at the end of the day, I don't care what they said. I care what God said about this city. And I'm only interested in what he's speaking out. I'm only interested in his report. What does the report of the Lord say for San Francisco? And hey, here we are, 17 months later, 407 people saved, hundreds of thousands of dollars given out to missions organizations and planning churches, marriages that have been restored, lives that have been set free, people who have been finally walking in the plan and the call of God for their life. Why? Because we had a different however in our hearts. There was something on the inside of us that said, yes, I understand there's an enemy, however, God's plans are good for this city. God's plan is that many would come to know him. He's not done with San Francisco. He's only starting in this city. That's what the report of the Lord said. Now that's great for me. And I don't say that to boast in us in any way, shape or form. That is all God. We just said yes and got to participate in the process. But what about you? What's in your heart today? What's made its way past the ears and past the eyes and and gotten into your heart, and thus it is determining the steps of your life. If, if you're gonna truly lay hold of what God has for you, you need to change what you're saying. You need to change what you're hearing. You need to change what you're seeing if you're gonna walk into his promises. So, so let me help you with that. Let me put some, some handles on this because otherwise it's just this nebulous, excitable stuff. <laughs> Let me help you. What did the song say? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Let's start with your ears. If your ears are being accosted with the voice of doubt and the voice of fear, here's what you need to do. You need to cancel the noise. Cancel the noise. Um, I recently uh, purchased a, a pair of these um, AirPods. No big deal. It's whatever. It's totally fine. And uh, up until recently, I wasn't able to, to wear AirPods because the old Apple design for their earpieces uh, didn't fit inside my ear canals. I have really weird-shaped ear canals. It's my cross to bear. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so dumb. Um, but now they've got these little foam tips on the end so they can, they can fit in my ears. But one of the coolest things about these AirPods is that uh, they have this technology called noise cancellation, which means 
if there's something happening around me that I don't want to hear, with the click of a button, I can silence all the noise. So if I'm on the airplane and there's some stuff happening around me that I don't want to hear, I just hit a little button. I don't hear it anymore. If, if I'm on public transit and there's someone screaming on the other side of it, I can just, I can hit a little button. I don't have to hear anything. If my kids <laughs> or my wife, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just hit a button and it silences all the noise. It's great. But, but, but I, don't, I don't just silence the noise. I actually begin to listen to something else. Uh, I go into my phone and I start scrolling through some worship music and like, oh, Mighty Pursuit, that's a good one right now, and I, and I hit that. Or I'll, I'll go to my Bible app and hit on Proverbs, and I'll just listen to that. And all of a sudden, the word of God is coming into my ears. And I open up the gates, and I let it get into my heart. I, I listen to something different. Now, maybe you don't have a pair of these in the natural, but you do have some of these in the spirit. And by the way, that's not an excuse to not buy someone who's asking you for these like that for their, like you have it in the spirit. No, don't be that weirdo. Okay, just, but you do have a set of these. You, you do have the right and the ability to silence some of the things that don't belong in those gates. You get to choose what you let in. And so when the negative news is coming your way, you can cancel the noise if you want to by turning on some worship and beginning to lift up the name of Jesus over what your culture is facing right now. And when the negative thoughts come into your head, you can go to the word of God and tune your ear to this because it says in Ephesians chapter five that our minds are washed by the power of God's word. And so when your mind is wandering places it doesn't need to be, give it a bath and go to the word. And you can silence negative Nancy. Come on, you all know negative Nancy. Stinking Nancy, every Nancy, you know? If your name's Nancy, I think you're great. But you can silence those people that are around you, that are just echoing what your circumstance says, instead of speaking out in faith, instead of speaking life over your situation, and you can get around some believers, you can get around some Joshua's and some Caleb's that say, you know what, this thing is not gonna take you out. I know it looks bad, but this is not where it stays for you. And they begin to speak in such a manner that they talk you out of where you're at, instead of talking you into the same situation you find yourself in. You get to choose what noise gets through the gates. And if it doesn't resonate with the voice of God, Cancel the noise. Do not let it in. But don't stop at your ears. Don't forget about your eyes. The, the eyes have the capacity to be the greatest advocate or the greatest enemy of your faith. Why? Because what we see in the natural so quickly gets to our heart. We see hopeless situations, we feel hopeless. We see unanswered prayers, we begin to think that God doesn't answer prayers. What's that old saying? I have to see it uh, to believe it. Often what we see becomes our beliefs. And when they become our beliefs, they become our destiny. So maybe we need to see some other stuff. Maybe we need to cut off some things in the natural at the eye gate and let in some, some godly things. Second thought, if you wanna see your eyes lead you to your destiny, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Yes. See Jesus again. 
I want to end this morning the same way that we've ended every single one of these sermons, by, by pointing to Jesus. In fact, man, you guys can come as we conclude, but as we've said every week, yes, these stories took place 1,400 years before Jesus ever walked on the scene. However, if we look closely and if we dig beyond the surface of the text, you will always find Jesus all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Proverbs, all throughout the Psalms. He's everywhere in the Bible because the Bible is about a singular subject and that is him. So, so, so where's Jesus in this story? We're told that Caleb was the first voice to speak into the atmosphere of doubt. When the 10 spies begin to tell the congregation that there was no way they could enter into the promised land, Caleb speaks up and he says, no, 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 guys, surely God has given us this land. In fact, even later in Numbers 14, despite Joshua being one of the voices that spoke out in faith, Caleb is the one God gives credit to. He says, my son, Caleb, he, he's the one who spoke something different from everybody else. Yet despite Caleb being the seeming hero in this story, God does not choose Caleb to be the leader to take his people into the promised land. He chooses Joshua. So, so why Joshua, not Caleb? Well, Joshua was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Joshua is a type and picture of our Savior. We learn a little bit about Joshua if you rewind numbers and back into Deuteronomy and Exodus, and that is that Joshua was a man who spent a lot of time in the presence of God. When Moses ascended Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, Joshua was there in the cloud. When the tent of meeting of the tabernacle was erected, when Moses would go in to meet with the presence of God face to face, Joshua was right there behind him, hanging out in the presence of God. In fact, we're told that even long after Mo uh, Moses left the tabernacle, Joshua would remain. He would linger in the presence of God. He was a man who was known for being in the presence of the Almighty. And many scholars believe that when the spies brought this cluster of grapes that took two men to carry back into the Israelite camp, that Joshua was one of the guys with a branch on his shoulder, bringing a taste of the promised land, a taste of the future to where the Israelites were living. Not the full measure of it, just a taste. For later, he would bring the entire congregation into the promise. Well, just as it was for Joshua, so as it is for Jesus. Jesus left the presence of the Almighty and he came and he dwelled among humanity. Why? To give them a taste of heaven on earth, to help us see what life with him would truly look like, what eternity with him would truly look like. He would bring healing. He would bring sight to the blind. He would bring deliverance from the oppressed. Every demonic force would bow at the mention of his name because he wanted to give us a taste of heaven. And just as the grapes stained that branch, so his blood would stain the cross one day to make a way for you and I to enter into the fulfillment of the ultimate promise, which was eternity with him. But, but even if that seems slightly far-fetched and you're like, Pastor Tim, you're reading between the lines and I understand what the scholar said, but that's not written in the Bible, then how about this? Let's, let's take a look at his name. Joshua in the Hebrew is the name Hosea, which means salvation. If you translate that same name in Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, it's the name Yeshua. 
the same name that a virgin named Mary gave to her baby boy when God said, this will be the one that saves my people from their sins. Joshua and Jesus have the same name. Joshua is Jesus. Jesus is a type, excuse me, Joshua is a type and picture of Jesus. Jesus was Joshua in the wilderness. And just as Joshua spoke a different word over the congregation, so Jesus speaks a different word than everybody else over your current situation. And just as Joshua brought a taste of the promised land to the people in the camp, Jesus is here today to bring you a taste of what heaven looks like. For we don't have to wait one day to experience all of what heaven might have to offer. But he said, you can pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just as a guy named Salvation led God's people into the promised land, so salvation in Jesus and in him alone will be the very thing that paves your way into an eternity with Christ in heaven. Jesus is right there in the middle of the text if we just look for him. So what am I saying? If Joshua was the one to lead the people, then you need to look at Joshua today. You need to look at Jesus today and fix your eyes on him. Not what you see in the natural, but what you see in him. And he will lead you to where you're supposed to go. Cancel the noise, fix your eyes on Jesus, and let's be people of faith. This week, when people are yapping at your job site about, oh, coronavirus this and stock market that, yo, shut up. That's not what God says. I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. I'm going to believe what God says about my culture, what God says about my life, and what God says about my future. Amen? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.